This is episode five of the Smile Revolution podcast. I think this is something actually that has been suggested as well within the dental hospital to try and open up to practice and support more as well. And I think that could be the future, definitely, so that we can, I mean, we've got all our patients on our doorsteps, you know, and we've got all the information. We're writing it all down now. We've got all the data. We could be using this this information yeah very very wisely so I do think that is something that could be happening in the future more more help for therapists hygienists out there in practice wanting to develop a role within research within their practice. Hello and thank you for downloading Smile Revolution in association with Dent Supply Serona a podcast dedicated to oral health promotion, supporting career development for dental hygienists and dental therapists. I'm Victoria Wilson, a dental therapist, and I am so excited to bring to you poignant conversations with dental professionals who have made an impact on my career. And thanks to their transparency, we will endeavour to learn more about the choices they have made and the impact this has had professionally and personally. Through listening to the Smile Revolution podcast, I hope you gain inspiration and ideas for furthering your career path, supporting oral health promotion and enhancing smiles across the world. I am delighted to introduce our sponsor, Dent Supply Serona, who are committed to providing clinically proven and innovative solutions, continuing professional education and patient self-care support to help promote a lifetime of oral health around the world. Find out more at dentsupplyserona.com forward slash revolution. My next guest is Debbie McKenzie, a dental hygienist from Glasgow. I met this lovely lady a few months ago at a Dent Supply Serona peers meeting. I was so interested to learn of her current role, I simply had to invite her onto the show. She qualified in 2001 from Glasgow as a dental hygienist and actually returned to the same practice where she was nursing prior to her hygiene course, taking the position of her current role model hygienist at the time. She was working two days a week in Glasgow and flying down to London for the remainder of the week to Locum, and she did this for two years. Then she settled in Glasgow, working full-time in a busy NHS and private practice for 10 years. Debbie then worked in a more specialist practice for five years prior to ending up in the dental hygiene hospital in her current research position. On today's show, Debbie shares how she got involved in research and how her current role has evolved in research. This podcast is for all dental hygienists and dental therapists who wish to gain an insight into how it may be possible to get involved in research and what a research position entails. We also go into the differences between commercial and academic studies and how Debbie's role varies in the different research projects and how her role in research has contributed to her own clinical practice. If you are interested in exploring a role in research, 
then this podcast is a must listen. B, how are you today? Oh, hello, Victoria. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? All right, thanks. I'm in sunny Tunbridge Wells, the sun is shining, and you're in Glasgow. And here we are on WhatsApp, and we're going to start recording a podcast. Oh, thank you. It's very exciting. (laughs) Well, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Um, From when I first met you a couple of months ago and started having a conversation about what you're up to and what you're involved in, I thought this was, well, such an amazing opportunity um, to share with other colleagues to maybe learn from what you're doing, because it is so interesting, um, and how other colleagues could potentially get involved in or exploring the avenues that you have done. So Debbie is involved in research, as you will have heard from her bio, her introduction. And I think this is so interesting for us as colleagues um, to learn from how she's got involved in it and, and what she's currently doing. But firstly, Debbie, can I just ask you, what has been your most memorable moment or memorable achievement in your career to date? I think it's probably um, managing to gain the role within clinical research. I was absolutely delighted um, when I was chosen to do that. Um, But maybe steering away from a sort of academic side, there's one moment... I remember um, I do some work in care homes as well and um, there was a lady in the care home who was about 95 and said that she wanted to keep her teeth and if she didn't that she just couldn't think about living without them so she lived till she was 102 and we managed to keep all her teeth for her so I think from that is a very memorable moment to me and I think that's important um to relay that as well oh wow what a story I know achievement yeah yeah, well, I think with everything that we do, and I think that is what people are thinking. She she didn't have any dementia, but she was completely blind, and she was just absolutely delighted. This is how much it meant to her, and I think this actually is what it's all about. I'd have to totally <laughs> so. agree. You know, that is what it's about, isn't it? You know, looking after mm-hmm. our patients and listening to what they want mm-hmm. and obviously supporting them in their oral health and to get to 102 and still have mm-hmm. all her teeth that's that's wonderful i know, and you know as well yes. for somebody that was born so many years ago that's not that common isn't it really when you think about it yeah absolutely absolutely so, so how yeah. did you get involved in your current position so I um, I heard about the role was going to be advertised as for a clinical research hygienist about three years ago. Um, it was a colleague that I worked with who is a specialist that works at Glasgow Dental Hospital. I worked with him privately and he happened to mention at a Christmas night out that there was this lovely new role coming out and a new th- new clinical research facility in Glasgow Dental Hospital. So that is how I heard about it. I then found out where it would be advertised, which was going to be advertised in um, NHS show. Um, so that is, that's how it all began. And then you applied online and... I applied 
I applied and um, I was absolutely terrified because it's been a long time since I've had a formal interview. Um, so normally it's just word of mouth when you get a job in a absolutely. practice. But this was a proper presentation, terrified. And, you know, when I when I got to the interview, um, I was in front of a lot of kind of very special people. And I was, I thought, oh, they're all very clever academic people. But actually... They're all human and they were so pleasant and very relaxing. So um made me feel very relaxed. Uh, so that was that. And I managed to get the job, which was so exciting. <laughs> um, I couldn't believe it. Um, yes, so that that's where it all began about three years wow. ago. Wow. And you, I, we've briefly had a conversation. I know you were involved in a bit of research when you were dental nursing. Is that right? Yes, well, um, when I was dental nursing, oh my goodness, it must be about 25 years ago, I took some time out. Um, I was working in, I was living in Dundee actually with an ex-boyfriend and um, I couldn't get a job as a dental nurse at that point. So I started working as a um a research assistant in um, a general hospital, King's Cross other Kings Cross Hospital in Dundee and um, so I was assisting a general nurse um, with research studies so that's where I learned to perform venipuncture taking blood and um, I was trained to do that at that point and also taking blood pressure vital signs and um, and carrying out assisting some of the research data information so I worked with some really lovely people there actually um, and yeah so that gave me a couple of years experience of a wee bit about why I wanted to take part in more research. So you'd already had a bit of time uh, exposure to it and you yes. obviously were you trained at that time you said you were a bit involved in you know collating data. Yes I was trained as um yeah, a medical technical officer. Um, so it was a called the role was called a trainee medical technical officer. Um, so and that was hands on training in the hospital. But um, that's how I, I managed to get that role. So so I didn't have any experience in research before I took that role on. And that role allows you to become trained um, and competent in the yes, area of research you were involved in. But, Correct, but I I wouldn't necessarily say you need to have you don't need to have that before entering into research. Um, I think that was a bonus that I had that. But even when I when I um, took the role on as a clinical research hygienist, they actually trained me. I needed trained. I need refreshed on on those those um, things. So I um, was trained again in venipuncture and um, taking vital signs and things like that. So the, the training is very thorough within the clinical research facility. There's an actual training unit at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. So you go through all the training again. So you wouldn't necessarily have had to have that to get into yeah. this role. So they weren't looking for anything in particular previously? It did. It did. The the job description, the, the um, application, sorry, did say you know it would be preferable if you um, could take blood, you could do perform venipuncture, but it certainly wasn't yeah. a necessity. Um, because yeah. I was so interested because you've been working 
in practice, like so many colleagues for so many years, um, working as a hygienist in NHS and private practice. And you've also been working, as I just learned from your introduction, which I'm sure other people listen to, that you were flying down to London every week to work um, as a locum. You know, so you've really been working in multiple practices um, for a total of nearly 15 years. Would I, am I right in saying that before? Yeah, I think it's Yeah, good. before going into research. Yeah. So, I mean... For colleagues out there, because the Smart Revolution podcast is all about empowering other hygienists out there that are maybe looking at career development and listening to and learning from other colleagues through listening to their stories about what they've done. So you were pretty much a hygienist routinely in practice until this opportunity came up. Correct. Yes, I was. So how has your week changed, essentially, from where you were um, in practice five days a week um, working, I know, in a specialist practice before moving into this position to your week now. How How is your week now? Well, it's still very varied. Previously, it was very varied because I would be working between different, pract- uh, different practices. Um, so you're always jumping about into different different positions but I do wear a few more hats now and I do have to change from being my hygienist in practice to being a research hygienist where um, we're developing protocols um, the the pace is completely different we are um, making our patient appointments we're basically running the research facility ourselves between myself and one of the research nurses um, so it's completely different two and a half days a week <laughs> um, but it's really really good and Interestingly, I'm getting a wee bit older now. Um, it does take the pace off quite a bit when I'm in um, my research role, but there's a lot more thinking involved. Um, so, yes, completely different. So completely you're there different two roles, and a half days um, a week? In the day. Two and a half days a week. And the rest of the week? And in, in, two, in two practices I work, yeah. So- and, so just going yeah. back, you were trained up when you started in this position, in in the research that they wanted you to carry out, taking taking bloods. How long did that last for, and what did that involve? Um, it, it was a refresher course that I did, um, and it la- we went in for a few days training, and then we did competencies on it as well. So you would have to do a certain amount of competencies um, with a trained colleague um, before you were signed off and and qualified to do to do that. Um, and as I say, we've got a great support structure with the research facility. Um, there's a clinical trials unit that train train us to do anything that we need to do that was involved within our studies. So you, so. at the end of this refresher um, course, did you feel fully competent and confident to proceed forward with the the, the research yeah. that was going to be it? Yes, absolutely. And and the the great thing about the support is if you don't feel confident, then there's you you obviously will get further training. 
So, and I think that's important within our role that we do anyway, that we want to feel absolutely trained and competent to do yes. so. So, yeah, no, great. And did they then yeah. come up with, or do they come up with the research that they want you to be involved in? Or are you involved in um, creating the studies? So, no, um, what will happen is our, our clinical lead, um, one of the consultants in the dental hospital, she is a very busy lady. She, um, you know, finds all the funding and liaises with companies, whether it be a commercial company or an academic study, and then will tell us what study is going to be on the horizon. And then we will get a site initiation visit. Um, but this, this takes years to get to the actual study that you're going to be running. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, since I've been working, I've, we've We've performed about three different studies now. So, um, how interesting! Yeah. So, there's a lot of background, a lot of background work that happens um, from other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, to get the funding and get the get the companies that want to do some studies with us. And the research you're involved in is it predominantly perio based? No, actually, it's not. The first study was um, the GlaxoSmithKline, and it was it's been published recently as well now in the um, Journal of uh, Microbiology. So it was denture cleaning. So it was actually quite nice. I was back. To, I was like almost like an assistant again, a nurse again, and we would work with the dentists and the patients. And then we that that took about a year to perform clinically, and then three years until it was published. Um, publicated. Right. So, so were you involved nearly in the whole of that study? The whole of the study. Start to finish. Start to finish. So can we just pull this apart because it's so interesting for me to know. No. So you, they already sourced the funding for GlaxoSmithKline to um, commence yeah. on this this research, um, and yes. then did you have to recruit patients? Yes. So, um, yeah, so recruiting patients and luckily we're kind of, uh, we've got, we've got the dental hospital with lots of patients. So they're all on our doorstep. Um, it's, it's really the perfect location for dental studies um, because we've got each department we can go to. So, yeah, I would, I would um, spend my days wandering down to the sort of uh, speaking to all the the lovely patients that were having full upper dentures and um it was it was it was great so yeah we had we had a, a good supply of patients the criteria for studies can sometimes be quite tough in making sure they they are suitable for the study um but there's certainly no lack of patients um for studies it's just whether they're they're actually correct their criteria they fit the criteria um so that was one study. We're doing a perio study at the moment as well, which is amazing. It's super exciting. Um, but yeah, so no no lack no of patients lack. in the dental hospital. And I mean, start to finish, because obviously we read many papers, but sometimes, you know, I think it's overlooked because we haven't, as clinicians, been exposed to being involved in the research. You know, understanding the sheer time that has gone into this yeah. paper. You know, and the value of this paper yes. and the strength of the paper and, you know, the strength of the evidence and how we're going to then interpret yes. that clinically 
Um, you know, and that's a task in itself. And that obviously yes. requires training and education and experience in that field. But, you know, just from recruiting the patients to then collating yes. the data over, obviously, I guess it's varied, isn't it, the time? Is that outlined yes. by the... Um, by by your lead your your consultant lead or is that something that you've got um you know clinical decisions in into how you're going to collate this data or how frequently you need the patients back or is that set out for you because this was a commercial study by GlaxoSmithKline that is all set out Whereas compared to an academic study where, for example, the one that we're running at the moment, it is um, we have a PhD student on it and um, I'm the co-investigator for that one. So I wrote the protocol for that with my clinical lead, who's the principal investigator. Um, and so we had we we basically make up what how we want the study to run, how many visits, the exclusion, inclusion criteria, um, how long it's going to take to analyse the results. So we, you have, yeah, you're basically, you know, doing that yourself with an academic study. Um, whereas with the commercial studies, it's all laid out for you. And it's fantastic when it's laid out for you because um, it's, you know, a lot easier as such because you don't have that background um information so obviously they vary i mean i'm asking as many questions so that the listeners can gain as much information obviously from this and in getting an understanding if they wish to go involved or get involved in research so that's good to know that it's pretty much all laid out you don't have to really think about where you're not going to change any protocols because that's what the commercial entity that's their work and what they've put into that yes. but it's interesting to know if it isn't a commercial there's still funding though for a non-commercial study yes um nhs r&d research and development they they fund us a lot for for obviously what we're what we're doing as well so The Dense Ply Serona Smart Scaling course provides an overview of Cavatron technology, tools and techniques to enhance your everyday practice and the patient experience. Built around the modern needs of hygienists and therapists, this course will provide training on appropriate instrumentation techniques, the science behind Cavatron ultrasonic technologies, and create preventive protocols to enhance both clinical and non-clinical practice. like yourself now involved in the research are you writing up the paper yourself um no so that is done by um a phd student um so for each study we have we'll have um an academic phd student master students coming in and and they'll be that's 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 their their job job. to do so you're essentially collating the data and recruiting the patients correct And yeah. do you and sometimes treating them depending on treating them obviously if it's within my role. Sure. And are you reporting on obviously your mm. findings for them to then utilise this to put in the paper? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, how fascinating. So your week has changed hugely from three years oh, ago. And the- <laughs> can I can I ask yeah. you, Debbie, do you feel since you've been involved in the research department within the hospital, your clinical work has changed much within practice or your approach to your clinical work? I definitely feel more passionate about what I do because I, I, I've, we've got the time in the hospital to see the work that's coming out and the clinical outcomes. So it has revived me, <laughs> revitalised me a wee bit into realising what actually how important it is the work we are doing for patients and the education we're giving patients is 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 really you know so worthwhile. Um, so I think it's yeah. It's made a big difference to me working in practice. I I tend to work more with protocols in practice now as well. Um, so more rigid protocols that whereas I would never really have thought of doing before, but it works with the whole team better that way. So we can work to a better standard. That's amazing. And I guess, do you constantly evolve these protocols or are you constantly changing them depending? Yeah. They're always changing. They're always changing. I mean, things are changing so fast, even within, you know, within Perio. Um, we all know. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they are constantly changing and your kind of standard operating procedures are standing, uh, changing and evolving um, and getting better all the time. So, yeah. How interesting to know, though, because definitely when a new opportunity arises, you know, that's really exciting in itself. But then, you know, it's it's obviously great to hear that it's invigorated you know your clinical practice and you know that you've been obviously doing for years regardless um you know and that's and that's what it's all about isn't it just finding new avenues that you can explore that um you're going to learn from and you know what you're doing is so fascinating to me as I've said but aside from all of this do you what what are the biggest challenges you've faced um, in your recent transition three years ago from clinical practice to hospital, you know, and obviously looking back at clinical practice? Yeah, um, huge challenge for me, um, probably academically actually learning all the standard operating procedures, the protocols within research. There was so much training um, out with what I've already told you with the training. There was a lot of um, support given to even we had to do a good clinical practice course as well. Um, anyone who's involved in research has to have a good clinical practice um, certificate. Um, so, you know, I had to get my brain working again after many years of, you know, just churning out work within practice. Um, I was really having to use a different part of my brain. Even having to use a computer <laughs> was, you know, and the IT side of it was for a 45-year-old at that time was quite challenging. Um, so it's it's really pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, but in a, in a good way, and I've been so well supported by it, I've worked with some lovely colleagues, very encouraging. And I've just been open and honest about how hopeless I am at some of these things. And they've been very, very supportive. So that has really, really encouraged me through some of these challenges. Yeah, And it's really reassuring for you to say that, you know, you've just been really open that, you know, 
This is a challenge for me. And Absolutely. I think that's exactly it. Sometimes we're a bit reluctant to speak up and we try and muddle through yeah. it on our own. But, yeah. you know, more and more experienced hygienists yeah. and therapists I speak to around the world are all about, you know, just don't hold back. If you can't do something, just say it. It's fine. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's my dog. Hi, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I think it's supporting friend. Horseman's at the door. Oh, you want to answer the door? <laughs> no, it's fine. It's just, um, I think he just put something to the lift. It all happens on the Smart Revolution podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, yes, we're fine now, I think. Yeah. There we go. No, Sorry no, about but that. it is so true. You've got to speak up, right? You, if you can't do something, if you're questioning something, or, you know, you're in a new role with yeah. new challenges, it's 100% fine to say. I feel absolutely and you know that's that's one thing that it's actually I'm quite I'm quite a quiet person and um I, I sometimes you know you are afraid to say oh what should I do here or is that that's maybe not right I don't feel that's right but actually when I've started to not question but I, I've found that you've got quite a warm audience actually and people if you're just if you're just open people are much more understanding with you and um you learn so much more as well so it's just always just a win-win question question go for asking. it and yeah. what about any challenges you faced you obviously recognize from what you were saying that there were things that could be introduced into practice after being involved in research um did you find any there were any challenges as you returned or as you continued with your clinical practice out of the hospital and wanting to implement those protocols yeah I think there you're working in a big team and I think it's getting time to get everyone together to kind of discuss these things and seeing the other side of what we can do by implementing some protocols and ideas. Um, so I think it's important to try and, and I'm still bad at this, setting time aside to to speak with people who are maybe not used to working within certain types of protocols. So um, I think that's something that I can certainly still improve upon. Um, you know, it's not that you have to persuade people to do things, but once you sit down and have a chat with people, I think they, they see the value in, in you know, moving forward and improving systems. Yeah. But you successfully did it because you've already implemented the protocols. What was the biggest thing you learned from play, implementing them within practice? Or working with your colleagues uh, well, to do so? Well, I think patients noticing, actually. Um, the, perhaps even if we meant to talk about the the perio classifications, um, what I've, I've kind of noticed, I'm gently just trying to do that into practice now. It's all very new, but it's actually seeing the patient side of it. They're... You know, so we'll have a sort of trying to set up a new template um, to record our information um, and patients actually understanding the disease a bit better as well. So that side you don't see. So I think that's made a big difference and we can all be working to a similar sort of standard yeah, as well. It's so interesting because, uh, you know, colleagues that we speak to around the world, we're all pretty much doing the same thing. But it's just interesting to see or hear how differently people do do certain things um and it's great to hear from you that the patients are already noticing implement, implementation of the protocols 
Yeah, well, I think they, because I'm always always talking too much in practice, but they they just they hear the changes and they're always you know they're so used to something one way and hearing different words the other way, talking about periclassifications a wee bit. So they're 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 interested to know you know why that's changed and and how that affects them. So. Oh, great! Well, Debbie, thank you so much for answering all my questions. I am so sure that the listeners have learned something, especially if they are interested in getting involved in research. Can you give any advice to any listeners listening today that would be interested in maybe embarking in, on some research if they don't see a job advertised? What would you recommend? Yeah, so I would recommend um, wherever you are, if you can contact your, um, your probably your um, nearest dental hospital, um, ask if you could do a wee bit of shadowing, even over the summer holidays, um, or at any time if you've got if you've got a, maybe a day a day of the week, or just to go in for one or two days, um, try and um, get in contact with the the clinical lead for research um, within the hospital. They'll be delighted to have you there for a day, um, and I think it shows your interest, but also you can actually get an idea of, of what actually goes on on a daily basis and what if it's something that you would really enjoy doing. Um, and I know we're, we're always delighted to have people that are, are keen to come in and shadow us. Um, we have people from all around the world coming in, students coming in, and um, but mainly dental students. But I would be delighted for any hygienist to come in, therapists to come in and, um, and shadow, shadow us for the day. So you're all more than welcome. So great to hear. Thanks, Debbie. And maybe I may take you <laughs> off on that one. <laughs> um, um, what else? If they may be thinking, mm, I'd like to get involved in research, but I don't know if working in a hospital is for me. Can you give any advice for maybe yeah. getting involved in research in practice? Yeah, well, tricky one, actually. Um, clinical, um, the, um, you need to do the um, good clinical practice. So if you Google good clinical practice, um, if you can do, you can do that online as well. Preferably if you go in and do the day course, it's it's, it's better. The, the Queen Elizabeth do it. I'm not sure if, I think that, I'm not sure what the fee is to do that, Anna, but definitely worth looking at doing this good clinical practice. Um, Just Google good clinical practice, do, like you said. To do any research, you have to have that. Um, and then it is tricky because you would have to apply to ethics and have all the correct approvals um, in place, obviously, before doing any any research um, to protect the patient. So, um, yes, looking, looking into that, the good clinical practice would then give you the right avenues to go ahead and, and teach yourself how to apply for you know approval to the ethics committee and okay. um, so that's the part I don't have to do yet so you know I'm kind of really lucky that way I've got that support structure within the hospital um but yeah I'm sure I'm sure there's a way of of doing it but definitely coming in for a shadow visit um you could get some more information with some of the consultants we work with so helpful thank you and certainly putting them in line with or in the direction of the good clinical practice like you said that will probably open doors because I've often had questions like how do you get involved in or how do you approach the ethics committee or get the right ethics approval yes. and obviously that's a fundamental part of any yes. research isn't it 
Yes. If anyone is interested in getting in contact with Debbie, please email me at info at smile-revolution.net and I will forward the email on to Debbie to get in contact with you. And now it's time for the final part of the podcast, the Smile Revolution Fire Round. Advice with your wealth of experience to any listeners out there. I think, um, especially for newly qualified hygienists and therapists, I think just enjoy what you're doing and remember why you're doing it. I think things can get stressful. And I think just take a moment to yourself, especially with our enhanced CPD, get a nice plan for yourself. Plan maybe one thing a year for yourself that makes you enjoy your job. Um, And time does tell what what route you want to go down. Speak to as many people as you can. Um, lots of peer reviews. Speak to speak to lots of colleagues, um, and you will it will open up avenues for you. You do. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I do love it. <laughs> I secretly love it. <laughs> um, and you know why? Because when you see the patients at the end of a course of treatment, you see them transforming from what what they've been through. Um, life gets in the way of a lot of our patients and um, there's lots of different reasons that they, they need lots of help. And when you see that coming through at the end and seeing your patients transformed and thanking you so much as well is absolutely lovely, but you see their confidence changing um, improving not just their oral health but their general health that is that just makes me feel pretty satisfied about what I do wonderful it's been brilliant and it is such a different you are in such a different role that's what's so interesting I think for the listeners because and it's so you're in such a valuable role um for the developments and the for and for the future of our profession and I'd like to hear and, and know of more people within a similar role to you, you know, or I'd like to yeah. see more opportunities for hygienists and therapists opening up in research because this is what yes. is going to move things forward for us even more yeah. so. And Yeah, I think, I think this is something actually that has been suggested as well within the dental hospital to try and open up to practice and support more as well. And I think that could be the future, definitely, so that we can, and we've got all our patients on our doorsteps, you know, and we've got all the information, we're writing it all down now. We've got all the data, we could be using this this information yeah, very, very wisely. So I do think that is something that could be happening in the future, more, more help for therapists, hygienists out there in practice wanting to develop a role within research within their practice. I'd love to see that too because how interesting as well and also how many more papers would we be able to seriously publish utilising people in practice? I mean, Mm -hmm. we we just move forward even faster. And certainly the dynamics and the interest of what um, clinicians are doing in practice would you know, change. Um, but like you said, any challenges and exactly 
and mirroring what you've done, you then go back to practice to enhance what you're currently doing with, um, you know, refined protocols. So it's a win-win mm. from so many it, different it, angles for career development yeah. for hygienists and therapists, the Point of Smile Revolution podcast, and also for future of research within our role as a profession. So do you know any countries um, utilising hygienists and therapists, you know, more within practice in research? I don't know. That's um, Certainly America and Canada, one of the hygienists um, that works with us closely in one of the studies we're doing she's done so much research she's she's an old school hygienist and she has done you know a master's and she's done incredible work within research so I think they're yeah definitely proactive over there maybe utilizing more hygienists within practice in research anything else that has opened up in the last couple of years that you're involved in Yes, yeah, so very exciting. Um, I've been asked to run some courses um, for Des Plaisirona. And um, also um, Ness as well have asked me to do some now. And this is this has opened up from some of the extra training I've done in ultrasonic scalings um, with Dens Pizerona. Um, so I've been able to provide some smart scale courses, hands-on courses, which has been great fun uh, working with um, hygienists and therapists. What have you learned from running these courses? I have learned so much about ultrasonic scalings. I read so much more than I ever did. Um, I'm much more knowledgeable than I that what I have learned in the last um, year of doing this. I've learned so much more than I have in the last 17 years being a hygienist. Um, but what I think the most important part is meeting with my peers and getting a good networking chat on what you know the problems that we have in practice as well and I think there's some exciting courses coming up for that next year as well which will be which will be great I'm sorry if anyone's heard there's a bit of a noise in the background as there's scaffolding going around my house anyway um thank you so much for that and yeah well stay tuned and look out for the courses if people want to find out more about the courses you're running where should they look um, I would look um, at the NHS portal site um, or the NEST portal site and also on Dens Plaisirona's um, website for CPD. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I'm sure you will love our next guest. So click on subscribe to be the first to hear it. If you were inspired by the podcast today and you wish to launch an oral health promotional campaign or project, please let us know at Smile Revolution. As we are here for you leading dental professionals as your creative agency dedicated to making a success of every oral health promotional campaign and project. Book your free consultation today. Please email info at smile-revolution.net.